Welcome back to the Get Loved Up podcast, your number one resource for inspiration and motivation to live your purpose, make healthy living a priority, and thrive doing what you love. I'm your host, Koya Webb, a small town girl who chased her dreams and caught them, a former track and field athlete who healed using spirituality and yoga, and an entrepreneur who didn't let sexual assault racism, and insecurities dim her light. And now it's your turn to allow these episodes with some of the top voices in spirituality, wellness, and entrepreneurship to inspire you to thrive. Let's get loved up together. Through mindfulness and meditation, Minaj has helped thousands of people around the globe trade mania for pause so that they can live fearlessly in honor of a happier, more meaningful life. In 2015, he co-founded Aspace. Australia's first multidisciplinary drop-in meditation studio with a special focus on creating access for BIPOC and youth. Through his philanthropic work with Lululemon, he has supported trauma-informed therapeutic programs for refugees in Melbourne, social justice movements in Oakland, and mindfulness scholarships in New York City. Last year, his debut book, Still Together, was released with critical acclaim. Minaj is currently co-founder of Open, a modern mindfulness studio merging technology, culture, cinematography, and proven practices to create community and presence. Whether he's teaching through words or the silence in between them, Minaj's great love for Buddhist wisdom and contemporary science is present in every encounter. Minaj, it's so great to have you on the Get Loved Up podcast. How are you? I'm doing so good today. I, um, I think I just started to tell you before, um, I've been traveling a lot and <clears throat> feeling very ungrounded. So it feels like a real blessing to be in, in LA and to have a weekend where I'm, I'm not doing anything. So I feel at this moment really good. And I'm excited to speak to you. I'm excited to speak to you as well, because we've had many tries and we didn't give up. We kept trying to catch each other. And I love it when that happens. Actually, you actually value the connection more when it doesn't happen right away. I don't know why we as humans are like that, but um, it definitely um, took us a couple of tries. So I'm so excited for this conversation. Me too. Me too. So I love that you are traveling and that as a meditation teacher, you're saying I'm traveling and I can't, I'm so glad to be grounded because most people are like, I just want to travel. So can you chat a little bit about your travels and where you've gone and what you've been doing as you've been jet setting? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, maybe it's just a a byproduct of, of my old age these days, but you know, traveling doesn't seem as cool as it used to be when you're traveling for work, you know, but back then I'm like, Ooh, I'm traveling for work. It sounded very exotic and exciting. And uh, now I just want to be in bed with my little tea at 9 PM and (laughs) sleep in my own bed. Uh, (laughs) But, you know, I've been, I've been, I've been doing a lot of traveling. So um, we've been doing a lot of events for my company open. Uh, We've been doing a few events in New York. Um, I taught at a event called the Med Gala which was like a a 2000 person event that was uh, put on by a a group of people from Three Jewels Meditation Center in New York to the big quiet to open. Um, And it was a, it was a benefit concert and event where we were raising funds for um, essentially meditation scholarships and meditation programs and and trainings and to be able to go into underserved and underrepresented communities and, and train people as meditation teachers 
that was a lot of fun. Um, equally fun was uh, teaching at Coachella, which I never thought I would do in my entire life. Wow. Yeah, ran a series of, of events and, and classes at Coachella, the actual festival itself. So there was one week where I did Coachella Thursday to Sunday, and then I came back. We went to Miami and we toured in Miami for an event. And then I came back on the Thursday and drove back out to the desert for Coachella week two. And I don't know how the young people do it these days, but that was <laughs> that was enough for me. Uh, well, that sounds absolutely incredible. And I know to do all that, you have to stay grounded. So can you share what helped you ground yourself so that you can sustain all that travel? Yeah, I think staying grounded. I mean, and that was a, a very extreme example of my travel and it's not usually like that. Um, but, you know, the practice is really the, the ultimate grounding tool, right? Um, you know, integrating a, a breathing practice with a meditation practice, which I've had for about 15 years, is, mm. has really always been very supportive to me. And, and there are times that I'm, I am overwhelmed and my practice feels difficult. And I reach back down into that toolkit of, of practices to help me kind of come back into my body. And I find when I'm in my body is, is when I am, I am grounded. You know, when I'm caught up in the stress and the anxiety and the overwhelm, I'm, I'm usually overthinking. I'm, I'm usually in a negative headspace. And it's important that I first bring awareness to that. And I'm aware that, oh, okay, my mind state is here and, and that's not where I want it to be. And then just come back into the body. And I use a really simple breathing technique. It's a Tibetan breathing technique called vase breath. Um, generally, it's my go-to practice. Uh, Tibetan Buddhist tantric practice, and then followed by another meditation practice, um, which has many names, but the, the one my teacher uses, it's called handshake practice. It's essentially a, a somatic mindfulness practice where we use the body as our uh, focal point of awareness. Mm, I love that. I love that. Speaking of your journey um, with meditation, I know that you struggle with what many, many people are struggling with today, which is anxiety. Um, can you take us back to before you got into meditation and give people kind of like what you were doing before you got into this lifestyle? Because I think a lot of people right now are in that space of overwhelm, of stress, of maybe I need a different path that I'm taking that's causing me all this stress. Can you take us back to before you were this Zen inspiration? Um, sure, sure. Yeah. So I, you know, I was prior to, to being the co-founder of Open and a meditation teacher, prior to my life in Australia as a meditation teacher, um, I spent 10 years in, in the corporate world. I was in marketing and advertising and life back then was, was just full of 50, 60 hour work weeks, you know, up, up at 6 a.m., back home, 7, 8 p.m., drinking too much coffee that my body couldn't handle, uh, not knowing anything about wellness or self-care because, you know, back then we didn't, I mean, in Australia specifically, as a man, like I didn't know about wellness. Um, and I was burning the candle at both ends, you know, I, on the weekends in that, in that culture, in that environment, in that industry, like, you know, you have a lot of events and you drink a lot and you don't eat good food. And so um, it eventually took its toll on me and I kind of developed a, a pretty serious anxiety 
condition. And it started with a panic attack, actually. Uh, and prior to the panic attack, I probably had low grade, you know, anxiety disorder. But when I did have the panic attack, it was a moment in my life where it was like the universe just like slapping me. And he's like, well, you can't, you can't keep moving like this. You can't keep doing this. And so it manifested in a whole host of other, you know, physical conditions. Uh, there was depression for a period of time. There was chronic insomnia for about two years. Uh, there was an eating disorder for a period of time. Um, my mother actually came from from Hong Kong where she was living and looked after me for for a period of time. So it was a it was a very intense two to three years. But prior to that, there was this low grade anxiety that was just kind of building, and it was a byproduct of not really recognizing the stress that I was putting my my body under not also recognizing the thoughts that I was bringing into that experience as I was experiencing all those things. And then how those two, the combination of my physical uh, experience and then my mental response to that really contributed in like a lot of pain and suffering for me at that point in time. And um, yeah, eventually by a very serendipitous set of circumstances, I found my way into a Buddhist meditation studio um, the teacher started teaching me like really gentle yoga movements before we sat for a period of time. And I remember recognizing how it was literally like the first time in my life that I felt like I was inhabiting my body. And then also being able to observe like my mind and not just be a victim to what my mind was telling me to do. And uh, I think that was the first moment that I'd experienced um, mindfulness you know like conscious mindfulness that's incredible that's so incredible I love I love your story and I love the fact that you know you were divinely guided there and, and it just really because I feel like a lot of times when we're willing to listen we can be divinely guided to those things that will help us grow and transform and so in your book still together you also talk about like your first introduction to teaching and it wasn't like you said okay I'm going to start teaching meditation can you share a little bit about um, the kind of, I guess, trick or challenge that your teacher gave you um, that kind of catapulted you into your career as a meditation teacher? Yeah, I mean, back then it wasn't cool or sexy to be a meditation teacher. <laughs> no one actually wanted to be one. Like it was, it was very rare in Australia to come across a meditation teacher. And the ones that you would come across would be in their 60s and 70s. And there would have spent a lot of time in, you know, in the East, but um, yeah, I mean, one day, one day my teacher, I came to class and been sitting with him for about seven or eight years at this point. Uh, he said, uh, oh, actually I asked him, I'm like, Hey, I'm, I'm thinking about maybe teaching every now and again. And he's like, no, like, you know, you need to sit with me for 10 years. That's, you know, that's how, that's how we do it. You know, 10 years wow. before, before I even consider you. And so I didn't really ask him again. I was like, okay, no worries. And then um, one day, you know, probably about two years later, I came to class and um, he was like, I'm not feeling well. Uh, I need you to go teach. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like completely unprepared <laughs> to do any of this. So I, you know, feverishly started writing down notes in like a little book. And I had this like, within like 10 minutes, I'd written down like, like a script almost and things I was going to say. And as I was about to walk in, my teacher just grabbed the book off me. He's like, go and teach. I'm like, 
oh, okay. And so I went and sat. And then as I sat, my teacher walked in, like he wasn't sick at all. He was just, you know, trying to, I don't know what he was doing. Maybe it was like, like you said, divine intervention at the time where he just wanted to see me. And um, I was so nervous because he is my teacher, um, all these people there, and I never taught a class. And, you know, I just remember closing my eyes and, and just trusting that whatever was meant to come out of my mouth at that moment was meant to come out. And I taught this class and, you know, my teacher didn't say much. He just looked at me and kind of just acknowledged me. But then he slowly started, you know, giving me a class here or there. And, and that really began like the, the career quote unquote um, that I had as a, as a meditation teacher. Cause from there I got invited to teach in different places. And then um, eventually when I did a bunch of, teacher trainings and traveled to the U S and sat with some, some real masters and the rest, as they say, is, is history. (laughs) I love that story. I think it's just beautiful because a lot of people are scared to take that jump. And sometimes need a little push. And I feel like your teacher just kind of does you like, yeah, go in there. And uh, yep, you're not taking that book with you. And I think um, sometimes it's beautiful when we have that person, but when we don't have that person, we just kind of have to nudge ourselves to like, you know, get out there. Um, Has there ever been anything like maybe opening your app where you're like, okay, I have to do this because this is the next step in my journey. And this is what I want to birth into the world. I, I love that. And I love what you said as well, is that sometimes it's like this nudge and this, and this nudge can at, at times feel like resistance. It can really feel like, oh, like I really don't want to do it, I really don't want to do it. And, you know, what I'm really leaning into now in my life, is, you know, in, especially in the last few weeks, actually, is just surrendering. You know, there's this like ability to just surrender to this experience. And I feel like when we are, most in alignment in our lives like we are guided like there there isn't like such a resistance and the resistance often comes from our thoughts about experiences or you know our previous experiences or our beliefs around something and so surrendering to just what is in front of us sometimes can feel like resistance but it's actually the easiest you know thing to do to cultivate flow and alignment um, in my life, it was very much like that. Like I'd never wanted to be a teacher. Like I, I was making a lot of money in, in my previous job, you know, in, as, a, as a marketing manager. And when I started teaching, it was not like more than three times less or four times less. It was like, I think $30,000 a year, which like you couldn't even live off in mm-hmm. Australia. But there was just this, feeling of I'm just going to surrender to this experience and trust my heart and trust my body and let that guide me. And what I started to feel more than anything else was just like this happiness and this sense of ease and equanimity actually that came into my life. And um, I just followed that. I trusted that. And I'm like, okay, if I can just be of service to someone apart from myself, then, you know, the life will kind of look after me because I did live a very selfish life. Before that, you know, I was constantly thinking about accumulating things and I was thinking about climbing a corporate ladder and, you know, being something and being someone. And it was very self-referential. And so this path of actually giving and caring and and, and not being about me in my life just really took me on this wild journey, you know, And, and first it was as a teacher and then it was opening this studio in Australia and then 
it was almost launching an app in New York. And then after the pan or during the pandemic, it was like the universe wanted to send me to LA and then it became opening open in, in the West coast. And, you know, um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm le learning to just surrender to, to what life is kind of throwing at me and it feels hard. Um, but it also feels, it also feels really, um, really spiritual the experience actually I love that I think there is so much growth in surrender and when we stop trying to control so you using that word so many times I feel like when we do that especially for the last two or three years we had no choice we all had to surrender some of us went kicking and screaming but right. I think the more we surrendered the the more easeful um, that we we felt in the time. Um, and so, yeah, I also think that it's really, it's really incredible how you started to build a huge mindfulness community because so many people are asking, but how do I do it? How do I turn my brain off with like so much stimulation, so much comparison, so much social media? Um, what is your advice? Um, because it is it is very hard. Like everything is vying for our attention these days. So as mindfulness teacher, what are what are some of your like, I guess, say your top three tips for a person to really not be overcome and overwhelmed by the constant stimulation of the world? Yeah. And I think that is the main problem. It's like the stimulation, like from the moment we wake up, our, our brains and our bodies are stimulated. And what I've learned over the years is that real creativity, real wisdom, real insight really comes in space. You know, this ability to find spaciousness in our lives really gives rise to, to creativity and, and to insight. And so we have to create that. That's probably my number one tip. Like, how do you find space in your life? And we all live busy lives. And I'm also grappling with the same things many people are. I'm also noticing my addiction to grabbing my phone as soon as I wake up or, you know, not being able to wait for a coffee without checking my phone. Like all of these things are normal, but we can put, we can create the conditions in our lives for us to feel spaciousness. So that might mean setting yourself one hour after waking up, you're not going to touch any electronics at all. You're just going to go for a walk. You're going to meditate. You're going to just wake up into your body and not wake up into technology. So that would be the first thing. Um, I mean, the second thing is to really develop a consistent practice. Um, it's no surprise, like when I'm inconsistent in my practice, like I generally meditate every day. I have done so for the majority of the last 15 years. But I remember there was a period in 2020 when, you know, there was so much going on and I was glued to the news and, and all of this where I just couldn't sit. And um, that, I felt it. I, I felt the anxiety in my body growing. I felt the tension. And, you know, if I look back on, on times like that, what I would have said to myself is find something that brings you back into your body. So when I talk about a practice, it can be yoga, it can be breath work, it can be meditation, but the ability to really just be with the body cannot be discounted, right? Because we spend so much of our time outside of the body, particularly in the head. And that gives rise to anxiety and stress and, you know, a whole host of other conditions but develop a practice in which we just befriend our body and befriending our body includes 
making space for any feelings that are there, uncomfortable things, you know, finding compassion for that. So that's really important. That's probably the second thing. And uh, the third thing is developing a, a self-compassion practice, actually, because uh, self-compassion and mindfulness really support everything else in, in our life. And um, I used to never really talk about compassion. I thought it was really cheesy. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm a semi-professional athlete. That's like the background I've, I've come from. Um, and so compassion and self-compassion felt just like something soft. <laughs> but I, I've kind of I've realized over the years that my ability to be a better friend, a better lover, a better boss, uh, a better partner, a better father, all of these things stem from my ability to be friends with myself. And for many of us, you know, over the last few years of teaching, I've learned that we have a really negative self-perception. We, we have a very critical voice in our heads. And that really keeps us trapped in this little self, this sense of self that's very small. And when we are a friend to ourselves, when we develop, you know, your podcast is called Get Loved Up. When we develop this love for ourselves, that expands us, that, that expands us to be all of these things that we can be. And when we can approach our life from this sense of, of wholeness, then uh, our approach, our, our actually experience of life is, is very grounded and it's very um, raw and it's very um, empathetic and it's very authentic, actually. So true. So true. Well, let's talk a little bit about your background as an athlete and how do you feel um, that really gave you kind of like the ambition or resilience that you have in your life today or does it have any effect at all? Yeah, I mean, I was a pretty bad and I was semi-professional. I wasn't a professional athlete, but um, I was semi-professional at a sport called cricket, which I'm not sure if if many Americans even, even know of, but <laughs> it's really big in, in the East and, and in Australia. And, um, you know, I played cricket from the time I was like five or six. It was like, literally I played cricket and I danced. Those were the two things that I love to do. Um, and cricket became something that I was just very naturally talented at and, and very good at. Um, but it was a big commitment, you know, so, so growing up, it was just like every weekend, three or four times a week I was practicing. So by the time I got to like my early twenties, it just became like something that just took up a lot of space and a lot of time. But when I was playing, like, I remember thinking like, this is a, like, I mean, in retrospect, this is when. I'm most mindful is when I have to be really present. Like, you know, when you're, when you're batting, for example, and someone's throwing like a hundred mile ball at your face and all you have is this stick and a couple of little pads, you have to be really present. If your mind is somewhere else, then you're going to get hurt and, and, and injured. And so um, being really present in those moments really helped me as, as, as a cricketer. And I also think that it's the same thing when we're dancing, actually, like, Dancing is, is something that I'm rediscovering um, these days because it's something completely different to everything else that I do. But when we're really deeply present and we're dancing, we're in our bodies, we're connected to the sounds that we hear, we feel the, the movement of our arms and legs. And that's a very mindful experience as well. And so um, however we can experience this, whether it's sport, whether it's dancing, whether it's something else, 
it really deeply connects us to the moment. And um, that's what I'm really excited by. Oh, I love that. What is your favorite type of dance? Um, I mean, I grew up going to a lot of like hip hop dance classes back in the day. Um, but, you know, anything that has a beat, I can get down to these days. <laughs> I love it. I love dance. I feel like I have a um, one of our pillars in Get Lift Up is dance daily. And I feel like it's a beautiful way to somatically move energy and release stress and tension from the body. Um, so, yeah, I love that. In addition to meditation. Yeah, um, no, I'm with you. I think one of the things that really helped me is I, I as an experiment, I was like, I'm going to play one song every day for a month and just dance to it and not care. And the first time I did it, I felt really weird because I had a housemate at that point in Australia and I'm just kind of dancing and we're two dudes, right? <laughs> and it, like, I hope he doesn't see me. And it was just really awkward. But then over time, I'm like, you know what? This just feels really good. Mm-hmm. It's just really good in my body. Yeah, I love that because even when you don't feel like working out or doing yoga or maybe even sitting, I feel like dancing is a little bit more accessible for people who are able-bodied, you know, um, to move around. And even if not, like moving a little bit um, can help you occupy like you're safe and be present with your body without you know, making yourself still, which is also good in its own way. But I, I often tell people, okay, if you really, really can't sit, even for one minute, just try dancing or walking or yeah. something like that. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I love that. And um, I would love for you to talk about, I think it's really important. You have a practice in your book to help people deal with comparison, um, especially like when it comes to the media and social media, um, there's a lot of comparison. And I loved um, the practice you talk about to just help people handle that, that reality of comparison. Can you share that with us and give people some inspiration? Yeah, I had to just remember it because it's been almost, a, yeah, so long since I've, I've spoken about that particular practice. But I think one thing that um, many of us, and I include myself in that, actually sometimes fall victim to is if you're on social media, there is a very intrinsic part of you that moves into comparing what someone else's life is like versus yours. And, you know, and that gives rise to all these other tangential kind of feelings and emotions like jealousy and envy and sadness and anger and all of these things. And I think what we fail to see is social media as an example is one very small part of someone's life, like one very highly curated part of someone's life. It's not the totality of of that particular experience. So there's a lot of ways that you can approach it, but um, yeah, I mean, there there are different practices actually that that I employ sometimes when I feel that, but one, uh, one practice that I do is a loving kindness practice in which I kind of envision this person and just wish them well, actually, which is like a, a really, it, it, it almost like de-circuits the, the neurons in your brain that are moving into disconnection. Because at that moment, you feel very separate from this person, right? Like, oh, how come they have this and I don't? And this sense of compassion and, and connection, like you disconnect from that. And so the loving kindness practice sometimes is, is really good because 
you're a working with your own physical feelings at that moment, which might be jealousy or, or envy, but you're also reconnecting to someone else. And as you do this, as you're doing the loving kindness practice, you're seeing the whole human, not just the Instagram human. And you acknowledge <laughs> that sometimes they suffer. And, and that's a reality that we don't see that every single person in our life suffers. And so acknowledging their suffering um, and just wishing them well um, has two effects. It allows you to, um, to regulate your nervous system and your emotions, but it also builds this empathy towards, towards someone else. Mm, I love that. I love the loving kindness meditation. I think it's, it's so beautiful. And I love how you just talk about just seeing yourself you know, connecting as that person, like with through oneness, you know, it's like mm. when we kind of connect ourselves and, and I, and I also want to talk about the title of your book, because the title of your book still together, I'm sure so many people can say it means a million different things, but I want to hear from you, like, what does still together, what brought you to that title and what does that title mean to you? So I, started writing the book without even thinking about the title. Um, I was like, okay, what is it that I think I can really share that people will get a lot of value out of? And I started thinking about obviously the, the foundational elements of mindfulness from the Buddhist perspective are the four foundations of mindfulness. But then there's a, an emphasis on the body as part of that experience. But um, as I was writing it, I was thinking about what am I going to call this thing? And I, I started to realize the one thing I wish I knew, you know, when I was younger and I started to actually write the book for my daughter, who's now, you know, she's 20, but I started to kind of consider her as I was writing this book. And I'm like, Oh, when I was that age, I felt so disconnected from other people, you know, like I was an immigrant, I grew up in a, a very racist part of Australia. Um, I felt very othered. I felt very different and I never felt like I fitted in. And so growing up for me, I always felt like very lonely. I'm like, oh, I, there's no one that is melanated that looks like me in any sort of space that I went to. And um, the sense of discon disconnection that I had from a young age kind of moved into my my adult years and so the, the book is called still together and it's a play on words because <clears throat> still together together still um it kind of talks about meditation as bringing us to stillness but it also is an invitation to to really develop connection because the the stats around the world kind of point to loneliness as being an epidemic they also point to a lot of division in, in our culture these days, right? Like we see that in the news every day. We see it in our communities every day. And it's a, a remembrance of connection as a biological imperative that um, it's not like a nice to have. It's if our species is to survive and to thrive, like we need to feel connected, not just to each other, but to ourselves. And so, um, yeah, that was really the, the invitation from the book. I love that. I didn't even think of it still together, like still in meditation. Like that is brilliant. And um, I feel like if we can become still together, 
we can get on a same frequency. We can match consciousness because we're, even when we slow down, as soon as things open back up, we're moving fast again. And I think we're experiencing a little bit more trauma from that um, and feeling like we have to be somewhere we're not when we haven't really processed the grief of being still alone <laughs> so much. And yeah. so what do you have to say to people who are coming back into moving a lot faster and having a hard time? I think it's first seeing that and, and, you know, we can't change anything we can't see. So first we have to see that we're moving at a pace that's not sustainable. And for many of us, it's not, you know, like it's, it's, it's not even for me, <laughs> to be honest, like coming from a pandemic and, and all the social issues that we've gone through and experienced to like the interpersonal to the personal thing, you know, we've lost, a lot of us have lost, lost people, we've lost jobs, we've lost opportunities. And the trauma of that is, is still in our bodies. And recognizing that, accepting that, and moving slowly at a pace that feels sustainable for us is what we have to do, even if it feels like we can't. And what I mean by that is we all have work, we all have jobs, we all have obligations, but it's then creating the conditions to, to go slow. So if we're resting, like actually rest, don't grab your phone and sit in bed. If we're meeting up with friends, actually be present with our friends. Don't just be, you know, on our phones or, you know, drinking and like there's ways that we can create conditions that actually give our body this sense of rest and ease. And um, that's really where we begin. And I think hopefully what the last two or three years almost has, has taught us is that we have to really take care of ourselves and taking care of ourselves looks different to, to everyone. But um, I know for me, like, uh, the big realization I had as like a, a founder of, of these two companies was I can get very zoned in on work and just be thinking about work. And I forget about friendship, you know, and when I didn't have that in 2020, I got so lonely. I got so miserable and I realized, wow, like friendship is part of my wellness routine. <laughs> like who would have thought? So actually investing in that is, is, um, is really important to me and maybe it is to other people as well. Absolutely. It definitely is for, for me. I remember um, talking to these women and we we're thinking about doing business together. And I really broke down. I was like, honestly, I just need friendship right now. I just need friendship. And now we're really good friends and we had dinner together and we hugged each other and we spent time without our phones. And, and, and I had to know that like, I really, um, was at a point where I wouldn't do business without friendship. And so a lot of people say don't mix it, but I was at a point that friend relationships felt so superficial that I was like, yeah, I don't think I can sustain um, moving in this way as a very sensitive and empathic person. I'm like, this doesn't feel healthy. This doesn't feel right. I don't, I don't feel valued as a person um, more for, not for who I am, but what I can do. And I was just like, I felt that darkness. So I'm really glad that you said that because I feel like a lot of people will be able to resonate with like, 
yeah, maybe I do need to start nurturing relationships and and relationships being part of well-being. I don't think we talk about that enough in the wellness community, how important it is to have. We talk about community more, which is important, but really nurturing relationships. Can you talk a little bit about like what you've done since that realization to nurture relationships in your life? Yeah, I think relationships take work and you know we live in such an expendable culture where if we don't like something we just toss it out and that goes for everything you know relationships clothes like if it doesn't feel good and society tells us that right like honor what you feel and yes but there's actually layers to that and it's nuanced and i think with friendship friendship takes work it takes the realization that you're essentially in relationship to someone else And that other person will have different emotions, different feelings, days where they feel good, days where they don't feel good. They'll be in pain, they'll be in joy. And if you really genuinely care about this other person, then you need to make space for that. Um, And that's really what I've tried to do. Like I, I, I have a lot of acquaintances in my life just by the nature of my work. I can meet a lot of people. But there are some friends that I have that I, that I really, truly love. And um, after 2020 and, and you know, especially moving to a new country, like I was living between New York and Melbourne for five years. But being in L.A. is the first time I've actually just said, OK, I'm laying roots down here. Um, actually making space for people to be to be themselves, you know, and not throwing them out if they cancel a date. Um, you know, not getting upset with them if they are honest with you about boundaries. And I loved what you said around honoring what I felt, because sometimes if a friend honors what they feel and, you know, they say no to something, we can take that really personally. But um, no, I think actually really validating that and honoring that is, is really beautiful. So friendship is, is a part of it. And, you know, we throw the word in the wellness world community out a lot, but what does that really mean is, is something I think we should all individually explore. And, and for me, it means really supporting our friends. It means being there for them, even when sometimes it's hard for us to be there for them because we have our own shit going on, but actually showing up. Um, having really authentic conversations. And, and that just means holding space for feedback that might feel tough to listen to. Um, and then also being open to receiving, which I think a lot of us struggle with. Uh, we can give, 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 but receiving can be really tough. And so um, part of receiving is asking for help and saying, hey, like I'm going through this. Do you have the bandwidth to, to you know, sit with me for a coffee or something like that? And, and if they say yes, and that's a really beautiful friendship. Yeah. Really beautiful. Oh, you said so many golden things that I, I think are very important. I think the first one, just being able to say no. And I can definitely say for being a yes girl, like I felt like, oh, if I tell someone no, then they're not going to love me. Or I'm going to lose their friendship. And that's something that I had to heal from and yeah. realize that, you know, no is sacred. And actually you should be able to tell everyone in your life no at some point and not be feel like you're going to lose their love. And if that happens, that's okay. Then that person is not a friend, you know? So I had to realize that, um, you know, 
you have to have that sacred no. You have to have those healthy boundaries. And that actually shows you who your friends are. If you, yeah. can, if you can't tell someone no and they're going to talk bad about you or mistreat you or not want to hang out with you because one day you didn't hang out with them or you forgot a birthday or something like that, then that's not a very strong friendship. And so I love that you call that out because I feel like discerning what friendship is, is something that I personally didn't have growing up. And I actually had to learn, like no one teaches it in school and our parents don't teach us like, how do you choose a good friend? You know? Yeah, that's, that's really important. And I think, um, you know, as we evolve as people, we appreciate different things in other people as well. And, you know, when I was young, I had my party friends and I thought that was real (laughs) friendship because, you know, we'd be out all weekend and have all these like really big experiences but, um, you know, the, the more mature we become, and I'll speak for myself, I care less about what someone does. Uh, and I care more about their emotional maturity because mm-hmm. being able to, to, to go through life and have someone that's just there for you and really show up is very, very special. You know, it's very special. And I think um, we find those people over time and we attract them when we're also in alignment, when we can show up for our friends like that, we tend to attract those people. And sometimes they've been there the whole time and they reveal themselves. And sometimes they just walk into your life. But um, yeah, when they come, hold on to them tightly, I say. Ashe, I agree. Hold on to them tightly and give them many, many hugs. Um, I absolutely love that. Um, let's talk a little bit about your offerings um, that you have, your app, and, and how what you're offering to people and how people can enjoy that experience. Yeah, so and I'm the co-founder of an app. Um, and actually, it's, it's, we call ourselves a studio because we have a physical space in Venice, um, soon to be New York and, and Miami, hopefully. But um, it's called Open and it's a, it's a mindfulness studio. We have an app and then we have the studio, obviously. But um, for us, we really believe that mindfulness can be experienced um, through everyday life. And this includes coming into contact with music, coming into contact with real community and coming into contact with like age old practices like breath work, yoga and, and meditation. And so we've developed um, practices that really integrate these elements. So every class you'll have music that's curated to the music, sorry, music that's curated to the practice, not just in the background, but in the foreground. Um, The breath will be this continuum in every experience of breath work in every practice. And then this quality of mindfulness that we can develop through through our practice. Um, It's a really cool it's a really, I'm really bad at talking about it. I realize it's a really cool um, offering. And so if, if anyone's interested, um, yeah, definitely come and, and check us out. Yes, I think you should definitely talk about it more because I want to experience it next time I'm in LA. So, and when it opens up in these other places, I mean, I feel like we need so many places that we can come and be still together and just, you know, and the whole music, and it just makes it fun, especially for people who don't find just sitting in stillness quiet fun. Um, so thank you for creating that. Thank you. And also your book, which um, I love Audible. So it's on Audible for free. I don't know, you know, right? Yeah, it's a little special on it for free at the moment. Um, I narrated the whole thing. So um, yeah, come and check it out. I think it's, 
it's a it's a really accessible entry point into meditation and and spirituality and hopefully it's the stepping stone on your journey and um yeah if you feel the pangs of disconnection like i do at times then this is the the book for you Mm, and i love that so y'all it's special right now so as soon as you hear this go grab it on audible listen to it's only like two plus hours it's not that long but it really gets you kind of like simple tools to get started to get started to be inspired and uh, of course like i need a physical copy a physical signed copy so i will be harassing you the next time i'm in la um to sign mine uh, but thank you so much for your offerings thank you so much for what you're doing to make this world a better place like i'm just like in awe of you and in so much gratitude mm. and you too koya thank you so much for everything that you do and um i can't believe it's taken us this long to chat i feel like i want to keep chatting with you so let's let's catch up next time i know I know we definitely will. We definitely have to. Is there any last words you want to share with the people just to, um, I guess one, one thing that I like to ask is what would you tell, um, I guess your daughter, since you have a daughter uh, that's 20, um, -hmm. you've had deep conversations with her about the importance of mindfulness. What is your message that, um, transcends age that you would just share with the community? Yeah, I mean, I also think back to, to my younger version as well. And I think that, you know, I experienced so much turbulence in my mind back then. And I didn't really understand that I could train my mind. Okay, I just thought this is how I am. I am just this person. And I didn't realize the, the neuroscience of mindfulness and how small repeated acts can actually transform your life. So you know, when we think of meditation as being something that's a, it seems so like hard for a lot of us, and, and it can be, it's that, hey, like five minutes a day to begin with can really begin to change the way you view yourself. And when you begin to change the, the way you view yourself, what you look at actually begins to change. And so if you're sad or lonely or going through a tough time, being gentle and kind with yourself and being present can really begin to transform your experience of of how you see the world around you. And just telling people and even my daughter that everything changes is a really um, powerful thing because everything changes means that yes, the good times will end, but also the bad times will end. And it's just a cycle of, of life that if we're aware that it's happening, then we can make space for it and we cannot be so wrapped up in the suffering of it. I absolutely love that. The good times will end, but also the bad times will end. I think that is so good for people to hear right now because it's easy to get caught up in the bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, all everything is cyclical. And so thank you so much for sharing that. That was my, one of the favorite parts of your book, just talking about the mind as a muscle and how you can strengthen it and Um, So thank you for everything that you've done. Thank you for being here. If you all have some great takeaways from this session, please tag Minaj, tag myself. Let us know your favorite takeaways. Um, If you um, haven't yet left a review, leave a review. Let us know what you like about the podcast. And until next time, love yourself, love others, and love the world. One day at a time, one breath at a time. Peace and love. 
I just want to take a moment to say thank you for being part of the Get Loved Up community. I like to share topics and people making a positive impact in the world, and your feedback means the world to me. If you haven't already left a review, please leave a five-star review and let me know what you want to hear more of on the show. I'm here for you, and together, we're making the world a better place, one day at a time, one show at a time. Thank you for listening.